What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Three Down Nation podcast. I'm Justin Dunk, joined by John Hodge and J.C. Abbott. Today, we're discussing the Elks tying a dubious all-time record. An excellent slate of games across the CFL in Week 6. Yankee Lawler making his return for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Chris Jones trying to explain why Canadian quarterback Trey Ford hasn't been given a chance to play this season. And a number of young quarterbacks set to start this upcoming week. But first, week six produced a sensational slate of games across the CFL as all four contests were one score games that featured at least 60 combined points between the craziness in Edmonton, high level playmaking in Montreal and shocking comebacks in Ottawa and Regina. How did the week translate for the league on television? Very, very, very well for the CFL on TSN and RDS. It was the highest rated week on TV since week two of the pandemic shortened 2021 season. That feels like ages ago. And the league has to be excited about that fact. First and foremost, you look at how the games did in week six from a ratings perspective, Hamilton at Edmonton. 578,800, despite that start time being at 9 p.m. Eastern time. I know our Josh Smith took issue with that, but it obviously wasn't that big of a deal for ratings. Toronto at Montreal, 480,200 on TSN alone. On RDS, 169,000, excuse me, 900 for a 650,000 total. Overall, the week averaged 567,850 in English. 610,000 and change when you include the French numbers and the two best games of the week for my money, at least Winnipeg at Ottawa, just under 500,000 Calgary. It's Saskatchewan, a little over 721,000. That game was the highest rated English TV broadcast of the season. So far, there was one game when the blue bombers were in Montreal that was on TSN and RDS that had a total of 735,000. So 
this is overall a major positive for the league for a couple of reasons. First and foremost, the numbers since week one have been trending upwards. It's a 46% increase in average weekly English TV ratings from week one to six and a 41% jump with French included. And then you look at the decline in TV viewership overall with people cutting the cord and not having cable as we used to. And it is a very good sign for the CFL that this many people tuned in for a great week, a week that had 251 points scored combined on average 62 and a half points per game in the four outings would probably make people want to tune in again. Yeah, I was at a wedding on Saturday, so I missed those two games. I'm, I'm so glad that I got to watch week five in real time, but I missed <laughs> arguably the two best games of the year. Shout out to to my friends who are getting married. Um, and shout out to the Sam Fowl for picking the, picking the one day I'm not watching, but that's okay. Um, to me, this, these numbers are great, right? This is the CFL's highest average rating for a week since week two of the 2021 season, which is amazing. Obviously, the ratings were a little bit high, uh, probably higher than they otherwise would have been at the start of 2021 because people hadn't had the chance to watch CFL football in almost two calendar years, right? That season started in August 2021. The previous CFL game had happened in November 2019 with the pandemic. So these numbers are sensational. For me, my game of the week was probably the Toronto-Montreal game because I thought it was the best played overall. But again, it's hard for me to judge them unbiasedly because I didn't watch the Winnipeg, Ottawa or Calgary, Saskatchewan games in real time. And I always find that watching them after the fact, once, you know, the reporting's been done and once the hype on social media has died down, just doesn't hit the same. So to me, I I would go with the Toronto Montreal game, but I don't feel like I have a strong opinion given the way in which I watched it. I think you're probably right, Hodge, in that that Toronto-Montreal game was the most complete football game and back and forth from start to finish. I mean, Chad Kelly, what a performance by the young quarterback for the Toronto Argonauts in that game. Throws for over 350 yards, three touchdowns, has that bad pick in the first half, but comes back with a vengeance. And it seemed like every time that Montreal was knocking on the door or or got some points and you thought they were back in this contest, Chad Kelly would trot it onto the field with no sign of stress and just unleash a 50-yard cannon with his right arm and put the Argos back on top. So very impressive, the most complete game of the week by far. But those Saturday games, to me, a great finish often uh, – supersedes the completeness of a game, especially when it's an all-time great finish. And I think specifically that Ottawa-Winnipeg game, to me, that's one of the best upsets I've ever seen in my life watching football. And yeah, it's early in the season, so you can't necessarily put it in the elite category that you would if it was a playoff comeback or a late-season comeback where there were playoff implications on the line. But think about where we had the Red Blacks last week. This is a team that was left for dead. They're starting their fourth quarterback in five games. There is no hope whatsoever. And then they're getting 
predictably blown out by this juggernaut powerhouse Winnipeg Blue Bomber team that has been to three straight Grey Cup games. Then all of a sudden, Dustin Crumb turns it on late in the game, has a great second half, and finds the holes with his legs in the key moments to score those touchdowns in a fashion that mirrored the loss last week almost perfectly in the sense that he got stopped two yards short and this time he trucked in for the touchdown it was the perfect confluence of events for an exciting comeback you saw the jubilation and elation from that ottawa sideline to me it is extremely difficult to top the experience of watching that game. It's not something I'm going to forget anytime soon. The thing that started that comeback in Ottawa, and for as good as Dustin Crum was, and he was really exciting, was that interception that hit a receiver's hands and Brandon Dandridge takes back to the end zone. Now, you could argue that the Bombers should have come out and still finished that game off when they got the ball back and put it out of reach. But that was really the play that turned everything around. At that point, it looked like it was going to be a blowout. The game seemed done. There was a lack of energy at TD Place. And then all of a sudden, Dandridge says, thank you very much, takes it back for a pick six, and the Red Lacks have life. Full credit to Crum for taking advantage of that sliver of hope. And that excitement, I think, was more just pressure being relieved, especially from that coaching staff and Dice and all the people around him, that they might have unearthed a star. And that was one of the storylines of week six for me were stars performing at elite levels. James Butler was unbelievable for the Ticats. Yes, it was against Edmonton, but that defense is still pretty decent there. And he carved him up pretty good on the ground. We saw what Swag Kelly did dropping in. 50-yard balls, as JC alluded to. DeMonte Coxie, or Coxie, excuse me, is a star in the making with that unbelievable one-handed grab in the back of the end zone. And then Swag Kelly rolling to his left, firing a dart to David Unger for what was the game-winning touchdown. Cody Fajardo played well. Austin Mack did his thing. And then you look at the Saturday games, right? Dustin Crum is a rising sensation, at least for one week. He's got to prove that he can continue to make it happen. And you look at that game between the Stampeders and Rough Riders that was back and forth. And I know Jonathan Moxie should have had that interception, but there's a little bit of upside there, I think, with Mason Fine, now that Trevor Harris is likely going to be out for the season for the Rough Riders. So stars came to the forefront, made some big-time plays, and I think that helped the TV audience. Mario Alfred's over here raising his hands like, what do I got to do to get a mention from Justin Dunn? <laughs> Two return touchdowns isn't enough? Well said, my man. Thanks for picking me up. One thing that I think we need to talk about before we go to the next section, though, is just from an objective standpoint, the right team won all of these games. And what I mean by that is the three one-win teams heading into week six, Calgary, Hamilton, and Ottawa, all got win number two, which is going to keep those standings nice and tight. Now, the Edmonton Elks are, are dying in the dirt, and we'll talk about them later. But right now, there's eight teams in the CFL that are, are competitive, that if the season were to end right now, would be no more than two points out of a postseason spot. Like, like that, to me, if you're the CFL, is, is what you want, right? You want parity. The last parody. few seasons have lacked parity. You've had Winnipeg. You've had Hamilton go on remarkable runs where they're winning 15 games in a season. They're wrapping up their divisions. 
with six or even eight weeks left on the schedule. And then you've got teams at the complete opposite extreme who are out by Labor Day and are completely down in the dirt. Again, Edmonton's still there. We'll talk about them later, unfortunately. But right now, you know, nobody in this in this country outside of the province of Manitoba wants to see the Winnipeg Blue Bombers win another game. Right. There were there were eight markets celebrating that Red Blacks win, not just one. And I think when when you look at that from an objective standpoint, I think that not only are the TV numbers good because the games were good, but I think fans are going to be more likely to tune in week seven because it's clear that Winnipeg is coming back to the pack. It's clear that Ottawa has started to take that next step. We have some younger quarterbacks coming up and performing. And the Calgary Stampeders, a team I've been critical of, avoided starting one and four, which I think would have been miserable. And Jake Mayer, it should be noted, had a much better game than he did the previous week when he stunk out the joint at IG Field. He played very well against the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. So on top of all the positivity, I think it's worth mentioning that these results, as much as Bomber fans will be disappointed, as much as Edmonton's fan, Edmonton fans are disappointed, I think from someone who makes their living right covering this league and trying to keep all nine fan bases engaged, I was thrilled with the results. And I'm sure the league feels the same way because this, to me, is a lot more compelling when you can have close games across the board and tight standings instead of teams at high and low extremes. And before we move on, fellas, I just want to note one thing real quick about the age demographic and the ratings and what it showed. That Riders and Stamps game had more people in the 25 to 54 age demo watching that game, 230,900, compared to the Blue Jays game on the same day, which was 228,700. And even the game that had the Tiger Cats against the Elks had a number of over 200,000 in that age demographic. Now, a lot of people, and oftentimes it's been said that the CFL fan skews older and they need to get younger. Well, that is positive news for the CFL to have that many people in that age demographic watching these thrilling games. For the second week in a row, a veteran CFL quarterback suffered a major injury as Trevor Harris was diagnosed with a tibial plateau fracture that happened late in his team's 33-31 loss to the Stamps. The Riders have not ruled Harris out from making a possible late-season return, though it appears unlikely that he will see the field again in 2023. Hodge, Saskatchewan currently sits third in the West Division with a 3-2 and record. Are you ready to bury their year with Harris on the sideline? Let's first talk about Jeremy O'Day, the club's general manager, talking to the media on Tuesday. He said that Harris has already undergone surgery. He's at home recovering with his family. He felt very positively about how the surgery went, while also acknowledging that he's not a doctor. Uh, I'm certainly not a doctor as well, but O'Day did say that in addition to healing the break, the surgery also dealt with Harris's lateral meniscus which is while still overall positive given how severe the hit and the injury could have been seems to me to stand out as a negative right the riders have not ruled out harris for the rest of the season which is their right that's fine how realistic is it that a 37 year old is going to play again this season after suffering the lateral meniscus and breaking that bone i would venture to say it's extremely low but you never know 
right? You never know. Trevor Harris has a very, very well thought out and well executed health training regimen. He takes that extremely seriously. He's talked at length about wanting to play well into his 40s. So if there's any older player you wouldn't want to rule out from coming back early, it's Trevor Harris. That said, I think this would take something between a Herculean effort and a miracle for him to come back, which, of course, turns your attention to Mason Fine. Because even if Trevor Harris came back for the playoffs, Mason Fine at this point is going to have to get them there. Mason Fine did not impress last season in two late season starts. Granted, the team might have been checked out at that point, knowing darn well that they weren't going to the playoffs after Cody Fajardo got benched. But this is the time for Mason Fine to prove that he has a future in this league. This is year three for him. In the CFL, we all know that he was a star at North Texas, did some great things with the mean green. It's time for that to translate to the green and white at the CFL level because he has an opportunity to become the next star player for what many people consider to be the flagship franchise of the CFL. And he has to run with this opportunity because Jake Dolagala is there. Shea Patterson is there, albeit as more of a short yardage guy. But the Riders have a number of young quarterbacks to cycle through. And I want to see Mason Fine take that next step. Because, boys, we've talked about it previously on the show. We're going to talk about it more later. We need more young quarterbacks to step up and seize the opportunities when they're there in this league. We absolutely do. And I'll, I'll start with the Harris injury. That's always devastating to see, especially for a league that's so desperately needs quarterback talent to be on the field and and playing effectively right and I can't in good conscience say that Trevor Harris will not be back I mean we sat here almost a year ago exactly and talked about how Nathan Rourke was definitely not coming back from that injury he suffered and the BC Lions season was done well he proved us all wrong the difference here Nathan Rourke of course 25 years old young, virile Trevor Harris towards the end of his career at 37. Now, can he pull off a miracle? I wouldn't put it past him. I'm not going to make any assumptions about whether or not he can return at this stage. That tibial plateau fracture, from the research I've done, it can be a bit unpredictable, right? Depending on the severity of the injury, there is a wide range of potential outcomes in terms of time missed. Usually surgery puts it on the longer end of the spectrum. Most people who have surgery are out at least six months, but this is an elite athlete and we've seen players come back from it. In 2018, Aaron Rodgers played with a tibial plateau fracture. He didn't even miss any time with that injury, but we've also seen Drew Willie miss a season with it with also a PCL uh, or a partially torn PCL as well. So that sort of muggies the water. Jeremiah Mazzoli's injury was a little bit similar, but that was complicated with infection and things like that. So there's a lot of things that could go wrong for Trevor Harris in this recovery that'll dictate how long he's out. But certainly everyone who cares about this league has to be pulling for him to have the better end of the outcome because this is a better league when Trevor Harris is out there slinging the ball for the premier franchise. In terms of Mason Fine, it's now or never. Let's be frank about this, guys. He's in year three. 
this is his opportunity to show he's a legitimate CFL quarterback. I was not impressed with what I saw last year, but he is a guy I was a major fan of in college. His numbers at North Texas pop off the page. I thought he was exceptional in that offense. Um, Threw for over 4,000 yards in one season, you know, consistently in the 30 touchdown range. A guy who can really get things done, or at least proved that at the amateur level. Now he needs to show the same thing here. And he looked good at the end of that game in relief, but now he needs to show it in a full football game. Otherwise, the Riders are going to be in serious trouble in a West division that remains just about as competitive as ever. Even though the West Division is competitive, the Edmonton Elks are not making the playoffs. So that leaves four other West Division teams, and it's still to be determined, in my estimation, whether or not an East Division team can be good enough to avoid the crossover. So I totally agree with JC. Time is now for Mason Fine. He's been in the league for a while. He's been around the Rough Riders for a while. I kind of wipe away those starts at the end of last season because it was a difficult situation to step into. Clearly, Cody Fajardo was upset about being benched and didn't seem like, at the end of it at least, had the greatest relationship with head coach Craig Dickinson. I think the whole vibe around that team has completely changed. It was really negative at the end of last year. I think there's a lot of finger-pointing. There's a lot of shenanigans going on, whereas this year it seems to have a positive energy, a more cohesive team atmosphere, which should help Mason Fine. And he's going to have to do it without some of these talented receivers that are injured. But if they get, you know, Key and Schaefer Baker back and a Jake Weineke gets healthy and back to the level that we've seen him play at when he was with the Montreal Alouettes, then it's possible that he could play well. And I think the fact that he's been around Kelly Jeffrey last season, even though, yes, Jeffrey was the running backs coach, I think can help him. He's been in this offense now through training camp and a good part of the season. And the Rough Riders season in reality right now is going to go as Mason Fine or potentially Jake Dolagala go. There might not be a late season for Harris to return to if Fine or Dolagala can't keep this team in the mix. And Fine is obviously going to get the first crack at it. And I hope the Rough Riders stick with him, even if he's a little up and down to start here in his first sort of run as QB1 for the Rough Riders because I think there is a lot of intrigue there and it's not like he's going to burst on the scene like Dustin Crum did in his first CFL start and get a win and become a star right away although that is a possibility in Saskatchewan because he's become comfortable there I will say the league has done a great job of going to lengths to protect quarterbacks and it's devastating for these teams overall, but specifically for the league and the players, Jeremiah Masoli and Trevor Harris to see these guys go down with injuries that are just fluky, right? Non-contact injury for Masoli Harris gets rolled up on from behind. And although we like to see these elite level or high level quarterbacks that are veteran guys play in the league, as we've seen with Ottawa, and yes, it's only one week, it can produce at least the opportunity for another star to emerge. So Dustin Crum needs to prove that he can be that guy week in and week out, and Mason Fine has that ability now. But in reality, as I said earlier, the rider season is going to go as Mason Fine shows on the field. One thing that I think will work to the disadvantage of Mason Fine and the Riders is simply the scheduling. This team has already played Edmonton twice. That's where two of their three wins come from. 13 games left, boys. Of those 13, seven are against the BC Lions, Winnipeg Blue Bombers, and Toronto Argonauts. 
that upper echelon of the CFL, those three teams that I think have have separated themselves so far this year from the pack, make up over half of Saskatchewan's remaining schedule. So if the Riders make the playoffs, if they end up with a winning record, that will be all the more impressive for Mason Fine and company. The Edmonton Elks have officially lost 20 consecutive home games, tying the all-time professional sports record set by, get this, the St. Louis Browns of the MLB in 1953. For the uninitiated, that's the team that went on to become the Baltimore Orioles. Team president Victor Cui told TSN that firing head coach and general manager Chris Jones would, quote, hamstring the team, sagging the league's football operations cap. He denied reports that Jones's four-year deal is a series of one-year contracts, instead claiming that it is a traditional four-year deal. Does that make sense, Dunk? I still don't think it does, and I want to see it on paper. I've been told there's a buyout in there, so... I think the Elks can get out of this contract with Chris Jones at the end of the season one way or another if they really wanted to. And for all intents and purposes, whether Elks fans want to hear it or not, Chris Jones is going to be there for the foreseeable future for the entire season, I believe, unless something massive occurs. Because if you get rid of Chris Jones, in reality, to change the whole culture around that team, you got to get rid of his entire coaching staff that's there. And those guys, a bunch of them, have been with him for a long time. The only way that I could see a possible change happening is if there was a coach out there that G. Roy Simon liked, you get rid of Chris Jones, all of his dudes, and G. Roy Simon brings in an interim head coach to go the rest of the way that you entice with future money. But then that would not help you out to try to get a young up-and-coming coach like, let's say, a Jordan Maximic, I think should be a front-runner for that job in Edmonton if indeed the seat comes open for the 2024 season. So I think that what Victor Kui is trying to do is just take the heat off of Chris Jones. But in reality, I think Jones has put together a competitive roster, especially on defense, on special teams, and even on offense. It's just the quarterback play. Taylor Cornelius has been downright dreadful as the guy. He showed flashes last year, but we're through six weeks, five starts of Cornelius. He's 0-5, and for some reason, they decided to start Jared Dagger for one game and then put him back on the bench, which I just can't comprehend that decision if you're going to stick with Cornelius. And the other factor that I think is playing into this decision to roll with Cornelius is the guaranteed money that he has in his contract in 2024 a new part of the collective bargaining agreement for players that decide to stay with their teams in that last year of a multi-year deal, get half of their base salary guaranteed. So I think it's in the neighborhood of about a hundred thousand dollars that they're going to owe Cornelius. But I would argue just get rid of the guy. The Elks have already made some head scratching cap decisions this season. And what's a hundred thousand dollars worth instead of winning games. I know he's going to get that money anyways, but you can work around that on your cap in 2024 if you really want to. And I know I'm going to come off as sounding biased here, but Trey Ford, for my money, is the guy that has the most upside on that team right now as a quarterback. He won a start last year. That's something that Taylor Cornelius has not been able to do this year. He's been around the Canadian game longer than Taylor Cornelius has. And to be honest, guys, I think part of what's at play here, the reason that Chris Jones is not going to Trey Ford is partially due to the contract that Cornelius has. But 
I think Jones didn't like the fact that Ford went and worked out for multiple NFL teams in the offseason, was still looking south of the border, went back to the University at Buffalo Pro Day to continue that NFL interest that was there. Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots aren't just bringing any old quarterback in there to work out. And even though he doesn't have the pedigree as a pro yet, if Trey Ford gets on the field and shows some consistency, I think there's a possibility there that more teams would at least bring him in to work out and potentially sign him to a contract because of his elite athleticism. They want to see what he can do as a quarterback. But that's funny in and of itself because what did Chris Jones do not too long ago to the Saskatchewan Rough Riders? He left for the NFL and the Cleveland Browns in January with a team that was trending upward. So I think that's part of what's at play here because Chris Jones's comments alluded to the fact that he felt like Trey Ford got to camp late, which wasn't necessarily true, and said he didn't perform well during training camp. And we don't see all the grading that they do every day, but there are differences between players. Some guys just do well when the lights come on. And I think Trey Ford is one of those guys, although he was right there with Nick Arbuckle. So you can't tell me that his performance during training camp and practices throughout the early part of this season has dropped that much that he's not earning a chance to get any playing time when the lights actually come on. Because realistically, how many reps is he even getting as the current third-string quarterback for this team? Usually the majority of the reps go to the starter, and that's been Taylor Cornelius. I'm sure Jared Daggy is sopping up some of those other reps, and maybe Trey Ford gets in here and there. So I think there's potentially more to what Chris Jones has against Trey Ford for whatever reason, because it wasn't even that long ago that he picked him in the first round guys, but just start Trey Ford. What's the worst you can do? You'll lose another game like Taylor Cornelius has already done. I found it funny that when Jones was asked about this earlier this week, what, what Ford has to do to get into the game is he said, play better. And uh, it would be interesting to see if that standard was ever applied to Taylor Cornelius because he has <laughs> continually gotten worse over the course of this season and i don't think that jones is biased against ford because he's canadian i don't think that narrative makes any sense because we just saw jones use a first round pick on him when no like, other team was willing to do well and exactly mm-hmm. he Chris played jones brandon tried bridge. to make branded bridge a thing yes like, he, he like doesn't that, have a canadian bias that here. narrative does not hold water he also took a french canadian player with the second overall pick out of u sports which I think also points to a lack of an anti-Canadian bias. If you're if you're picking, making that selection as a Western team, if you have a anti-Canadian bias, you're taking a player out of the NCAA all day who's been down there. You know, maybe they were born in Canada, but they they've been down there for their entire college career, potentially even some high school years. You're certainly not taking a, a French Canadian player out of the Montreal Carabin. So I don't think that bias is there, but obviously. There's a reason that Chris Jones has not played Trey Ford. And given the lack, like it'd be different if Taylor Cornelius was ripping it up. But it's also worth mentioning, Dunk, they went to Jared Denke earlier this year and they did that one week after Chris Jones definitively said, well, Taylor Cornelius is our guy and we're sticking with him. And they pulled him from his best game of the year. And so I, I, and and look, I'll, I'll leave it at this. The Edmonton Elks are a bewildering franchise. What they do has not made a lot of sense this year. And just in life, I want all of our listeners try to find someone who defends you like Victor Quee defends Chris Jones. Because if you could find that person and have them in your corner, 
you'll go far because Victor Kui has been on full court press when it comes to defending Chris Jones, despite the fact that I believe his record since returning to Edmonton is now four and 20, which I don't think I have to point out is truly awful. So and find I, someone. I don't think Kui was the guy that hired Jones either, which makes it even more. That is also there. true. Victor Kui joined the organization a month after the board hired Chris Jones, a board that, by the way, has mostly changed over. Ian Murray, the head of the board at the time Jones was hired, is no longer with the organization. So it, what what they're doing as a franchise, I, I don't think you can, you, you can argue from a logistical standpoint that it makes sense because I don't think they've they've arrived at where they are right now using logic. It is it defies whatever I understand the CFL to be, and there's a reason this team is 0-6. And I don't want to sit here and sound like I'm rooting against the Elks because I'm certainly not. I don't cheer for or against any teams. And in fact, the best thing for the CFL would be right now with with Ottawa looking up and again, some of these teams that have been beleaguered stepping in the right direction would be for the Elks to catch fire and win a few games in a row and end this unbelievable home losing streak they're on. I just don't think that's in the cards. This team we'll talk about in our next segment, boys, massive, massive underdogs. And I'm skeptical they can even cover the spread against Winnipeg this week. You don't think you're setting your bar high enough, Hodge. To be entirely frank, like you want someone who defends you like Victor Kui defends Chris Jones. Meh, that's that's nothing. I want a relationship where someone defends me like Chris Jones defends Stephen McAdoo. That's what I want. I want that (laughs) level of love and commitment when my offense is as big as bad as it's been. And there isn't even a discussion about changing the guy who's calling the plays and has done absolutely nothing for me lately that is a serious problem for the Edmonton Elks right now and they're a good team elsewhere on the field but that offense is inept it comes down to the quarterback position and it comes down to the offensive line that is not a good group up front let's be entirely frank about that they entered the season starting Josiah St. John at right tackle god forbid and now they've moved on to Brett Boyko that is a murderer's row of right tackles if you're the guy sitting back there with the ball in his hand. And you know who the one player is who might be able to escape that? Maybe it's the dude who runs a 4-4. How about that? Trey Ford is the only one who could potentially escape that type of pressure. And it, and it it's mind-boggling to me that they haven't tried to make that happen. And I get that things are, are are earned in practice and Ford is a little bit inconsistent at times throwing the football. But my question to Chris Jones, based on his comments, is what the hell did you think you were buying when you drafted Trey Ford in the first round, right? He is what he is. It's not like this is news or anything. And look, Almost as good as Nick Arbuckle in training camp last year isn't a great epitaph. Let's be frank about that. But Trey Ford is an athlete. You are not putting him on the field to consistently hit every throw. Yes, he has the arm talent to do it, but there's going to be some accuracy issues at times. There's going to be all that. You're putting him on the field because he runs like the wind and he can make plays that no other quarterback in the entire CFL can. Right now, that is your only shot as a franchise if you're the Edmonton Elks because you are not getting it done with Taylor Cornelius who cannot 
not hit the broad side of a barn on a good day, let alone when he doesn't know what the hell is happening with his organization. Taylor Cornelius has had accuracy issues. That's part of the reason they went out and spent big money, $325,000 on Geno Lewis to make him a non other highest paid non-quarterback, excuse me, in the CFL. That's why they went and spent over $200,000 on Stephen Dunbar Jr. That's why they love Dylan Mitchell so much. So if you're going to have a quarterback that's a little bit inconsistent throwing the football, why not have it be a guy that's an elite athlete with all of those great talents at receivers running around in the scramble, Joe? I'm not saying you're going to live on that because that's not something that is sustainable. But when the initial play breaks down, Trey Ford has shown in limited action in the CFL that he can be dynamic throwing the ball and running it. So I just cannot understand when you have an offense that has been so stagnant and your quarterback has been inconsistent that what you say to this young quarterback who you've been developing for, you know, into the second year now, that he needs to be more consistent throwing the football. He's got to play better. Well, he's looking at Taylor Cornelius saying, what are you talking about, dude? As much as Trey Ford will never come out and say that publicly, this is some of the stuff that goes through players' minds when they hear bogus statements from their head coach. And usually Chris Jones either doesn't say much or he'll give you the raw truth. But in this instance, with the quarterback decisions that are being made in Edmonton, I just can't understand them. And, It's not ideal because I think the Elks from a business operation standpoint are doing some very intriguing things. They're growing their digital numbers as a team. They're having a lot of different activations in terms of trying to get back fans at Commonwealth Stadium, just even into the building to watch games during this dreaded 20 game losing streak. But if your football team isn't winning games. No matter what you do as a marketing department, it's hard to get people excited. And the one guy that could create that excitement is Trey Ford. Shout out, by the way, to that digital team. Brent Steven is doing fantastic things with the Elks YouTube page or TikTok page. Their TikTok page is hilarious. I'm not one to point fans and readers and listeners to team-generated content. The Edmonton Elks TikTok page is the exception. That thing is hilarious. Imagine how much better that TikTok page and all that digital content would be with Trey Ford. Well, okay, hold on. I do want to balance this a little bit. Trey Ford, I believe, has thrown for one career touchdown pass. So let's pump the brakes a little bit. A little bit. A little bit. He never threw an interception with his left hand that went for a touchdown? Because Taylor Cornelius (laughs) did that this week for no reason. He did not have to do that. So Trey and, Ford has never done that. Therefore, he is better than Taylor Cornelius. And, and, and I'll also say this. Shout out Dustin Nielsen for what was a sensational call on that unbelievably bewildering play. <laughs> that, that, was, that was wild. So, I, I, look, I think that at the very least, bare minimum, especially playing against a team like Winnipeg that has struggled to stop running quarterbacks this year, the very least, Trey Ford should be getting five to 10 snaps as part of a package that makes use of his legs. And if Edmonton does not do that on Thursday, which I don't expect they'll do, I will bury them for it in my post-game call. I just want to say, yes, Trey Ford, I think, could be a better option than Taylor Cornelius, but Trey Ford has yet to establish himself as the next Michael Vick, though it would be nice to get him to see, to get, to pardon me, to get him the opportunity to do so. He doesn't even have to be anywhere close to Michael Vick. He just has to be better than 
Taylor Corndog Cornelius and Jared Deggie, who both have not been very good this year. Like, it's simple to me. I'm not saying Trey Ford's going to step on the field and be an absolute superstar, but he's better, in my mind, definitely, than what they have had trotted out there this year. I'll say one more thing before we move on to our picks here. It's nice to hear a TSN play-by-play man get excited when there are crazy plays going on. Imagine that. The Edmonton Elks visit the Blue Bombers on Thursday night with a Winnipeg line set at a whopping 15 and a half point favorites. Goodness me. All-star Kenny Lawler returns for the blue and gold following a six-game absence caused by an immigration issue following his, what was it called, Hodge? Impaired driving charge. Though the club is coming off a late collapse against the Red Blacks, can the Bombers cover that massive, spread yeah they can and this is a situation <laughs> where typically board bro well the well, hold on so the bombers are coming off a short week which under any other circumstances i would say they're not going to cover the spread it should also be noted that zach Galaris has struggled previously against chris jones defenses the worst game i've seen him play as a blue bomber took place at commonwealth stadium last year i think he completed seven passes in that game with that said, the Bombers are coming off that shocking late game loss to Dustin Crum. They've got a terrible taste in their mouth. They are going to a bye week, and so I could see this as a trap game. But when you add in the fact that Kenny Lawler is coming back, that stadium is going to be electric. The fans are going to be going nuts. I think when you add in the bad taste, when you add in Kenny Lawler, I think this is for sure a Winnipeg win, and I think it's going to be a big Winnipeg win. Uh, granted, I like to eat, but I'm going to pony up to the buffet boys and I'm going to eat all 15 and a half points as much as that feels crazy to say. I'm going to take the Bombers to cover the gargantuan spread. Yeah, it's really funny. I was I was watching some people make their CFL picks last week and these two dudes picked the Edmonton Elks. Can you believe this? <laughs> oh, wait, that was you guys. Why would you do that? I'm not making that same mistake. <laughs> Look, Chris Jones may give Zach Caleros some fits at times, but this defense is decimated by injury. Niles Morgan isn't going to be in the lineup. There's no Jamin Pelly to push the pocket. I think Winnipeg is going to eat, and it's going to be the largest blowout of the season against Edmonton. To be fair, Hodge did say he would hate his future self, and I'll own that one as a short week. It was the best chance for Edmonton to get a win, and they messed it up. And the only reason that I would even think about taking these points with the Elks is if I knew that Trey Ford was going to start. Because what happened last week when the Red Blacks utilized a quarterback who had dual threat abilities? We saw that with Dustin Crum. I don't have faith that... Chris Jones or Stephen McAdoo is going to utilize Trey Ford for the majority of the offensive plays. So I'll take the Bombers. I love that Kenny Lawler's back. He's beloved in that locker room. There'll be a lot of energy. I don't care if it's a short week. The Bombers are back home at IG Field off a loss that they know they should have had a win. Bombers, fire up the plane because they're going to roll. 
The Hamilton Tiger Cats host the Toronto Argonauts on Friday, a game that will see rookie quarterback Taylor Powell make his first career CFL start. Hamilton are seven-point home underdogs to the defending Grey Cup champions, who are the league's only remaining undefeated team at 4-0. Can the Ticats cover? I don't think so, and I know there's a lot of people in Hamilton feeling good about the Tiger Cats and James Butler after that win over Edmonton, but it's the Elks, okay? The rest of the CFL's eight teams are playing professional football right now. The Elks simply are not. So I will take Swag Kelly. I will take DeMonte Coxie. I will take A.J. Ouellette running the football, Andrew Harris, all those guys going down there to get a win in a big-time rivalry game because – they dominated the Tiger Cats on their home field when Bolivar Mitchell played the majority of that game. And yes, he was throwing interceptions, but a rookie in his first CFL start against Corey Mace's defense. And I only have to lay a touchdown. Sign me up for the Bowman. I'm going to roll with the Argonauts here as well. I think that Corey Mace's defense has flown under the radar with everybody talking about Chad Kelly this, Chad Kelly that. I think that Taylor Powell looked very good last week, but he did so in very limited fashion. He only threw four pass attempts, albeit one of them was a sweet touchdown at Commonwealth Stadium. I think Taylor Powell, I watched his media availability. I think that he has said a lot of the right things. I like his confidence coming into this game, but you are asking him to do a lot in a very short amount of time. It should be noted that the Ticats won and covered the spread twice in 2021 with David Watford as quarterback. So part of me wants to roll with them just to see if they could do it again. But it's only a touchdown. I think that the Argonauts are going to be able to win and cover here against the rookie quarterback. I urge anyone listening, jump on this spread right now because it's not big enough, in my opinion. Taylor Powell, yeah. He looked good on four throws at the end of that last game. He's a third-string third string quarterback in his first career start, and a guy who wasn't necessarily a world-beater in college, right? Dustin Crum was the MAC MVP. Taylor Powell was just another guy in that same conference. I think the Toronto Argonauts are going to wipe the field with the Hamilton Tiger Cats. Chad Kelly right now might be the best quarterback in the CFL. Taylor Powell isn't even in the top 12. The BC Lions are 10-point favorites against the Saskatchewan Rough Riders on Saturday following a potential season-ending injury to Trevor Harris. The Lions are rested coming off a bye, and the upper deck is open as the club is expecting a healthy hometown crowd in Vancouver with the Lions roar at home. It's unfortunate that there is these big spreads after a week that was so exciting last last week, but the Saskatchewan Rough Riders have Mason Fine at quarterback, and they're going up against what is the best defense in the CFL with Matthew Betts coming off the edge against a busted up Riders O-line and an inexperienced guy behind center. Ryan Phillips is going to have the perfect game plan and the Riders offense is going to really struggle. I'm taking BC and I'm taking all those points. I'd be comfortable no matter what this line is. The key for me in this game is the lack of a pass rush, especially from the Rough Riders defensive line going against a guy like Vernon Adams Jr. who's made some dope dot throws this year. So I love the Lions 
at home coming off a bye with all those targets that he had and the way that veteran defense is playing. I think they'll take that energy from this big hometown crowd and use that to cover the spread. To me, I will roll with the Lions here, and that is not a reflection on the fact that I think Mason Fine is a poor quarterback because I do think he's going to take some steps here. But the Lions, I you know, they had an opportunity to keep their undefeated streak going. They took the loss. I don't think they're going to make the same mistake this time and go down to two losses with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. They are a motivated team. They want to keep that top spot in the West. I don't think they're going to make any mistakes here. I'll roll with BC, despite the points. Calgary are five-and-a-half-point favorites at home against the sensation Dustin Crum and the Red Blacks. These two teams met at TD Place in Week 2, a game the Stampeders won 26-15, but way back then, Crum wasn't the starter. Both teams are coming off key wins and aiming to get back to 500 with matching two and three records. Hodge, can Ottawa get an upset for a second week in the row? I caramba. I don't think so. I think that the Ottawa Red Blacks have a lot to be excited about with Dustin Crum. That being said, I don't think that the Red Blacks played well at all outside. You know, granted, Nick Arbuckle wasn't brilliant as the starter when these two teams met earlier. This season, if you're not going to win this game at TD Place, I don't think you're going to win it at McMahon. Granted, the Stampeders are 0-2 at their home facility this season, but here with Jake Mayer taking that next step and finally showing why this team was comfortable from moving on from Bolivar Mitchell this past offseason, I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to take the Stampeders. I'm happy to take this line up to a touchdown. Beyond that, I would be tempted to roll with Dustin Crum and the hashtag crumback that was last week's victory over the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. But up to that seven-point margin, I'm happy to take the Stampeders and eat the points. Boys, I'm hungry this week. I'm eating all the points. I'm out here on the West Coast. The ocean is just outside my door, so I'm getting on my boat, and I'm becoming a pirate because I want yo-ho-ho and a bottle of crumb. That's I am buying into the running quarterback. I loved what I saw in the second half last week. I love his athleticism. I've never been a big believer in the Stampeders this year. They look improved, but I think there's something there with this quarterback in the Ottawa Red Blacks. They keep rolling, and I think they pull the upset this week. Let's go with the crumb, baby. I think he keeps it rolling. There's a renewed energy around this team. And even though I said earlier that there was a pressure relief there after that upset win over Winnipeg, I think there's some renewed faith in what Bob Dice and this team has going because the defense has played really well. They just need a quarterback that stopped turning over the football. Now, Crum did throw an interception in that game. But he did come back and obviously rush for those two critical touchdowns, especially that dynamic run in overtime. So I think the value here is on the Red Blacks. You're getting over a field goal on the road. And Jake Mayer has been meh for me this season. That core the Stampeders have of receivers doesn't necessarily overly scare me, especially with Malik Henry out with injury. I still think there needs to be time there for Jake Mayer and Mark and Michelle to develop a rapport. And Lorenzo Malden should be back in the lineup after the birth of his daughter, I believe it was. So I like the Red Blacks plus the points. Now time for Hodges Heritage Moment. On this day in 2018, Andy Fantuz announced his retirement from professional football. 
The slot back was a star at Western University, winning the Heck Crichton Trophy in his final year with the Mustangs and establishing himself as arguably the greatest receiver in U sports history. Fantuz was a first-round selection of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders in 2006 and had many strong seasons with the team, including a almost 1,400-yard performance in 2010 that earned him the league's most outstanding Canadian award. The native of Chatham, Ontario, signed with the Hamilton Tiger Cats as a free agent in 2012 and spent six seasons with the team, retiring with 637 career receptions for 8,636 yards and 44 touchdowns. Boys, my question to you, how is Andy Fantuz not already in the Canadian Football Hall of Fame? I'm not even talking about his CFL production, his CFL. He's probably on the bubble for Hall of Fame, but one could easily argue that Fantuz is the best receiver, even the best player in the history of U Sports football. He needs to be in the amateur category yesterday. I don't know about the best player in Canadian university football history, definitely in that argument for best receiver and most productive receiver. Let me give you a quick story. My first year at Guelph, 2005, I was a backup quarterback at the time before I took over starting against Ricky Foley. I think it was actually the following week. God, that was scary. But Andy Fantuz absolutely torched this little Italian defensive back we have. And I love him. My boy, my boy, excuse me, Mark Antonelli in this game, but it didn't matter who you put on him. Like, there were so many ways the teams tried to cover this guy, double him, bracket him, but he just had such great ball skills, tracking it, the timing of when to go up and get it, because we all know he's not the fastest guy. That's what made him so great. So I'm with you, Hodge. He should be in the Canadian Football Hall of Fame. I think there's an argument there to be the best receiver ever in Canadian university history, but there's a whole whack of great players that would have that argument to be the best ever. Chris Flynn, for my money, might be that guy. Yeah, Fantuz is is definitely up there. I think he's going to be surpassed, certainly this season, as the best receiver in U Sports history by Kevin Mattal at the Université Laval. Uh, but up until this point, he has been the gold standard. And then what he did in the CFL, he's one of my favorite players to watch, like a real testament He's the poster boy for the waggle because this guy runs like a 5-2 flat out there in the 40, but he's torching defensive backs because of his tremendous route running ability and his ball sense, his his spatial awareness, the about his ability to elevate himself above maybe his athletic gifts was second to none. He's going to be in the Hall of Fame fairly soon, I would guess. If Fantuz is a football player, right, you wouldn't look at him and think that he's this great specimen of an athlete, but he was really good at football, which is ultimately what you need to be to be a great player on the field. Three-minute drill. Vernon Adams Jr. is putting prayers up for Trevor Harris, his former teammate who he called a mentor. Is that classy? It's very classy. This is a, a competition that these guys had in Montreal for the starting job. It could have easily gotten contentious. Clearly, the two guys have a lot of respect and admiration for each other. Laval Rougier, our president, Jacques Tanguay, told Le Journal de Montreal that he doesn't believe a CFL team in Quebec City is currently viable. Do you agree? Do. I've said this multiple times on the podcast. I'm not a believer 
that it can work in Quebec City. And Jacques Tange is the guy you need on side to have it happen. What shocked me about this report was Randy Ambrosi being quoted as saying, yeah, I had conversations with Tange. I'm having this positive message. And Tange saying, yeah, I have no interest. Ambrosi's a fine dude, but we're not we're not discussing that right now. Absolutely clueless by the commissioner, really put his foot in the mouth there. We know the answer to this question, Dunk, but Chris Jones challenged Canadian QB Trey Ford to play better if he's going to see playing time in, in Edmonton. Is that reasonable? No. How about you coach better or make better coaching decisions at the quarterback position? Three unproven quarterbacks are set to start this week in Ottawa's Dustin Crum, Hamilton's Taylor Powell, and Saskatchewan's Mason Fine. Which one are you most excited to watch? With all due respect to Crum and Powell, the one that I'm most looking forward to watching is Mason Fine. I need to know, has he taken that next step? Because again, as we said, this is year three. This is his last chance. We need to see it. Craig Dickinson said Tevin Jones should have gone down at the one yard line instead of scoring late against the Stampeders. Do you agree? I'm of two minds here, and I want to be nuanced with this. Look, it is clearly better from an analytics and win probability standpoint if he had gone down at the one-yard line and given them multiple opportunities to punch in, drain the clock, and score a touchdown later. That is not a reasonable expectation to have on a player in that moment, particularly when they've just caught a fluke Hail Mary that went off a of DB's hands and all that emotion is coming forward. So Tevin Jones did the right thing in the situation of the moment, but Craig Dickinson is correct. It would have been better for him to slide at the one. The Hamilton Tiger Cats signed veteran CFL quarterback Antonio Pipkin this week. Is that a smart move for them? I don't know if it's smart, but it's okay. I mean, Pickpickin was on the street for a while because a lot of these other teams like the younger quarterbacks that they brought into training camp. So I guess it's a move they had to make because of the quarterback injuries that the Ticats have had. In the story you broke, Hodge, the Los Angeles Rams, La La Land baby, signed Canadian tight end Nikola Kalinic. Is that a prudent addition for the West Coast team? It is. Kalinic is an NFL player, in my estimation. He did some very good things up in Canada as a versatile H-back, special teams, tight end, fullback guy. But to me, he belongs on an NFL roster. It's going to be an uphill battle for him to make the active. But Michael Hoyt did it as an undrafted Canadian defensive lineman. I could see Kalinic getting that same opportunity. We thank you, as always, for listening to the Three Down Nation podcast. We'll see you next Wednesday for another episode.